This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Hey guys, welcome to The Better Wealth Show. We think about money differently, and on today's show, we are going to talk about the 10 questions that millennials are afraid to ask about money. We have the producer, our one and only, Joel Robertson, who's not just an amazing musician, father, but is also going to be behind the scenes and in on the scenes, I guess, for today's yeah, show. Uh, Joel, welcome to the show, and I know that you've, you've done some research and going to tee up some millennial money questions that people are afraid to ask. Yes, yes. So right now, the millennials are the most stressed about money out of any group, and I think part of stress is not knowing, and so they have a lot of questions they want answered. And then we got the top 10 questions we're going to pull up right now. And so let's just get right into it. Question one is, is it bad to not pay for a credit card every month? Yeah, so uh, good, good question. I would say great rule of thumb is always pay off your credit card each month if you have a balance on your credit card. And that's a bad thing. And, and a lot of people say, well, what about 0% credit cards? There's exceptions to the rule, but you're almost creating a potential bad habit. And you're, the goal is, and I've met many people that are like rolling their 0% credit cards. They're just one decision away from like it, it uh, not happening that way and it being 21% plus. So yeah, a good rule of thumb, if, if you're spending money on a credit card, make sure that you can pay it off completely at the end of each month. That is a good rule of thumb. And if you're keeping a balance on a credit card, that's usually a bad sign. The one exception is if you really understand the the name of the game and are intentionally creating a 0% or 0% balance and you have that covered, there there are people that have used that in a good way, but I just think you're playing with fire. Uh, question number 2 is how much can I spend on fun activities? Millennials are are very, you know, they like to go out, they like to spend the money, they like to party and they might be afraid to ask this because they don't want to feel irresponsible with their money. So how much is actually allowed to spend on fun activities? Yeah, so I would reverse engineer this and really go back to one of my favorite books, The Richest Man in Babylon. And and one of the principles in The Richest Man in Babylon is pay yourself first. Pay yourself first before you pay your, your debts. Pay yourself first before you pay other people. Like pay yourself first. And what they mean by that is not to go on vacation, but to actually save and invest. And so they use a, a random number, 10%. I think the 10% number is a good starting point. And so how what I would say is you should pay yourself first and you should create a goal every year to pay yourself yourself even more, like give yourself a raise. And so if it starts with 10%, I try to pay myself, i.e. save and invest over 25% of my income. And so that is like a goal that I'm going to hit. And then after that, I got to pay for my mortgage. I got to pay for other expenses to make sure that I live. And then anything left over, that's free game. Okay. So the most important thing is make sure you're paying yourself first. A lot of millennials are say, I want to invest. I should, I should start doing that. And then they look at the end of the month and they're like, well, I don't have any money because I spent it all. And so what I would just say is if you can pay yourself first, start with 10%, try to uh, increase that each year. And then uh, the real question is if after that live, don't like pay off your debt and all that stuff. And then if you have money left over, that should be part of your lifestyle. And so um, I guess the simplest way is after you've, you've saved your money, your money's your fair game to do whatever you want with it. Amazing. All right. So this is probably one of the most stressful things about finances for millennials. It's it's talking about the future. Yep. When and how much do I need to save for retirement? Right. So I hate the word retirement. I think retirement is something that we should get out of our vocabulary as soon as possible. It's very uninspiring. Um, I don't want to save or invest for retirement. I don't want to delay for a someday 
watch Fox News or CNN and go like that just does not resonate with me. And I think that's why a lot of millennials are like, screw it. What's the point? Um, and so what I would reframe that question is, is like, why do we want to be financially free? You're financially free when you have enough cash flow coming in to live your lifestyle, live that intentional lifestyle. And so um, what I would say is there across the board, if you want to be successful, if you want to have the life of your dreams, you have to create certain character and a lot of that character is delaying gratification and investing in the things that are really, really important. And a lot of people are unable to say yes to that dream job that they have or that opportunity or say yes to that business because they have no money. Think of money as just like a tool to get to where you want to go. And so I think you should start as soon as possible. The power of compounding is a real thing, but the power of control is a real thing. And the people that save money have more control, save and invest. Um, there's a funny golden rule out there that says those who have the gold make the rules. And I really believe that that is very relevant. So my, my deal is pay yourself first, do it as soon as possible, understand the power of compound interest, but also understand the power of compounding control. And instead of making retirement be like this, um, non-touchable, non-inspiring goal, create a living freedom or intentional living metric for you and try to live that as soon as possible. You are financially free or you'll be able to live intentionally um, when you have enough cash flow coming in to finance that intentional life. And the goal should be to do that as quick as possible. So I think there's just some reframing, but I think the biggest problem is we are uninspired as millennials by this idea of retirement. That's great. So when preparing for retirement, I think oftentimes we're, we're always thinking about the future and stuff, but there's present responsibilities and there's present things that, that we're, we're never going to know about. Like things can come out of nowhere and, and hit us, right? And so a question that's, that's pressing to a lot of us is how much money should we have for those emergency situations where these expenses are coming out of nowhere? Like, but I don't know how much to have for that, you know? Right. I think uh, a big mistake a lot of people make is they do not cover, they don't have their uh, emergency fund. And so they're one decision away, one bad choice away from having to start over. And a lot of times that's where you get credit card debt. It's like, hey, you, you have the best intentions and then your car breaks down. You have no money uh, to tap into. So you're putting on a credit card. It's not a 0% credit card. So you're paying 20 plus percent. And then boom, you have the, the eighth one of the world working against you, which is not a good thing. Um, and so I'm a big fan of having a reserves. I, I believe that you should have a, a year's worth of reserves of like, if everything hit the fan, you have a year worth to tap into where you can maintain your standard of living. Now you might not do everything what you're doing if, if life is good, but you can maintain your rent or you can retain your mortgage and you can continue with your current standard of life. I also think a 0% emergency fund is a massive ROI as it relates to the way that you think and allows you to potentially um, take more opportunities or risk in certain things because you're not one decision away or one uh, lost paycheck away from losing it all. And so I, I believe the emergency fund needs to create that foundation so that we can have freedom, that we don't have to be in fear, that we can show up powerfully. And um, I, I really believe having a year's worth of reserve is ideal. Um, I think the typical advice out there is six months, and I think six months should be a goal. And once you hit six months, you can kind of feel like, okay, do I feel good having six months of reserve in emergency, or do I really want to get that year? I know for myself, I like having a year. I show up more powerfully as a business person and take on more risk, knowing that um, I'm not. I'll be able to pay my mortgage and 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 do the things that uh, are priorities in my life today, no matter what happens. And so that allows me to say yes to some cool things. 
So speaking of credit card debt, what the heck is a credit card score? And why do we have to have a good one? Like all I've been told is you need a good credit card score. But first off, I don't know what a credit card score is and why it exists. Can you please explain that? Credit card, the the credit card score is kind of a necessary evil. And it's one of these things where it's, it affects every part of your life, essentially. Um, It will affects um, how you can reduce some of your debt and um, you might get better deals. You might get cheaper insurance premiums just because you have a good credit score. And it's just essentially the way of saying, you know, if I'm going to lend you money, the higher the credit score means you have just more credibility and, and you're a safer person to lend money to than if you have a low credit score. It's obviously important. So you, credit score affects every part of your life from a financial standpoint. And so it's important to understand how how that works. And, and there's um, five things that really go into your credit score. It's, it's how, much ba- how much balance you have, how much new credit history you have, what kind of lines of credit that you have, are you making your payments on time? So it, it's, it's complicated. It doesn't make 100% sense, um, but neither does most things in life. And so we, I, it's just one of those things where we've got to get in line, we've got to figure it out. And if there's something that you're doing that's hurting your credit, you've got to figure that out. Um, and so I would just say it's a necessary evil that um, it, it's maybe I could answer this better, but it's like a, it's think of it as like a key that unlocks certain things. And the better the credit score, the better access you have to certain locks. And if you have a worse credit score, you have access to less, less locks. And, and the better the credit score, you just get better deals. And it's just made up uh, from something that, in my humble opinion, doesn't make a ton of sense. But um, it's all based on how how safe of a or a lender to you would be. So again, I probably could clean up that answer a little bit. Well, that's okay. I think I think I understand. So basically, um, it's the score that tells you know lenders or things like that how good we are at paying off our debt. Is that correct? Yeah. So so the higher the credit score, the better. The lower the credit score means you're more at risk, and as a result, I'm going to charge you more interest, or I'm going to decline your ability to take okay, a loan. Okay, I got you. Speaking of credit and just your finances in general, a lot of times there's this idea of, of really, especially millennials, of taking responsibility for your for your own finances. But to, to what degree should we be doing that? Because having a financial expert would, I feel like, be really helpful. But I also know that maybe people our age can't afford to do that. So my question is, is it worth hiring like a tax expert or financial expert to to assist with your finances? Yeah, I think the two common questions is should I hire a financial advisor and should I hire like as someone to help me with my taxes? And both both are depends. Um, I think a lot of people diversify their um, control way too quick. So it's just like, oh, I, I made money and I'm just going to give it to someone to babysit my money. And I'm just really anti um, giving up control and giving up responsibility of the results that you want. And so I think it's really, really important to you get clear on what you truly want out of life and, and maybe have a game plan of like, this is what I'm looking for. And then find people that can help you with that. And it's the best, the best thing is if someone can help you get that better, they're worth hiring. So it's like if a financial advisor or working with someone like us or working with someone in taxes can help you get to where you want to go better for having them in your life, amazing. Unfortunately, a lot of people are not clear on what they want. And so they're, they're paying people, but they're not clearly articulating what they truly want. And as a result, the expert is not providing two or three X times what they're getting paid. And it becomes a, a disaster. To answer the question on the tax side, if you're, if you're not paying a ton in taxes, 
probably hiring someone to you know, help you with a tax strategy may or may not make sense. If you're someone who's paying 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, we've, we've had people and clients that have been paying hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes. Having a tax expert is a no brainer. And by having a tax expert and a proactive tax strategy, sometimes you can put 50, 100, $200,000 back in your pocket. That, that is like the biggest no brainer of my life. Same thing with a, a financial advisor. You might be at a place where you need someone to take a look at your investments and portfolio. And as a result, you can get a better rate of return, reduce your risk and have more clarity for the future. That's a clearly yes. So I would say early on, don't diversify. Don't try to hire people too, too fast to try to just um, give up control and hope someone else babysits your money. Um, but once you have cl- clarity in what you want, ask the question, will this person help me get to where I want better? And will they pay for themselves? And if the answer is yes to both of those, then you're ready to hire a tax, a tax or financial advisor expert. So along those lines, then, um, how much should I be investing at my current age? I'm, I'm 24 years old. And, and I know a lot of people watching these are, are in that age range. And I think the question is like, how much should we actually be investing right now? Yeah, I think uh, that's that's a great question. I think starting with the arbitrary ten percent number is just a good starting point. And uh, a lot of people that we meet with, it's this hard, honest truth: is we need to be saving twenty to twenty five percent of of our income. That sounds extreme. That sounds insane. But that really should be the goal. And that kind of money um, gives us enough, um, you know, gunpowder, you could say, to really be able to say yes in a powerful way and get the compounding machine working. So I would say 10% at the bare minimum, shoot for 25, 30. And that's a good, like, as you make more money, it could get tougher, right? But it's like, if you can, we've seen that if you can save 20 to 30% of your income, you're going to be put into a position that's so much better. Um, but a lot of people aren't even able to save 10. So I don't want to just discourage people from not even starting. So try to save 10% and then try to increase that. And, um, and if you can get to the 20, 30%, you're going to be in a way better position. The more technical way to answer that is it all depends. And it really depends on the cash flow ratio of your consumption and your savings and how old you are. And so if you're 45 and don't haven't saved versus if you're 20, the 20 year old technically needs to save less because they have more time. That's like the traditional way of looking at it. Um, I just don't like that's, that's, that's assuming we, we care about retirement and are just waiting for retirement. And I just, I'm not a huge fan of reverse engineering everything from a, I'm going to quit everything I love at 65. I just think that's a bad way of thinking about money. Next question though, as we, as we come to the end here is how much do I, how much money do I need to have saved up to have kids? Like, is, is there a good base level that you think you should start with before you have kids or can you just go at it whenever? (laughs) This is what I would say is I'm not a parent. And so I, I, going to give this with a grain of salt. Um, I've heard that you'll never be ready um, as it relates to having kids. And I know for myself personally, and being being married and having a conversation with my wife, it's like we know that we're never going to be ready. And it's one of the things that we feel called to do. And um, we feel like it's a huge blessing. So I, I don't I don't feel very prepared to answer that question. I think if you can be in a place where you're saving 10 to 20% of your money, that's a really good habit to be in. That's a really good verb to be in. Um, and so that's, that's something that's really important. I think having an emergency fund is also vital and just also know that there are going to be things that happen and, um, you'll never be prepared for things. But what I've, what I love about what I've seen is a lot of people just make things work and it just comes down to spend money on what you value. 
spend money on what you value. And if you spend money on what you value, you will win in the end. So that, that would be my question there. Um, I'm going to ask myself two other questions as because Joel and I prepared these questions before. What is a 401k? And, and a 401k is a government-sponsored uh, plan that companies can use and they can use to essentially um, match, create a create a match for your investments that can help you with your retirement. And it's something that, you know, for-profit companies can use as kind of like a, a bonus. Uh, companies back in the day used had pensions and they would say, hey, if you were at the company so long, you would have a stream of income, not just now, but in the future. Um, and that would be like a pension. They went away with that. And the 401k was the version of like, okay, um, instead of giving you a pension, we're going to give you a plan. We're going to contribute, but uh, you have more flexibility. Like if you leave or whatnot, you could transfer the 401k. And so it's a company plan that's sponsored by the government that um, allows you to save and invest for for retirement. Um, overall, I think a lot. they're not the end-all be-all. They're not meant to um, solve all your retirement problems. They're meant to be a potential bucket. I'm not a big fan of the stock market way of accumulating money and then taking income. I just don't think it's a very efficient way to invest and have income stream in retirement, but it's a strategy. And um, a lot of people buy into it and lo- love it. If you have one and have a match, look into what it would take to investing money to the match. And then after that, I would highly discourage you to to put money in an addition uh, above the match, I would I would look for other ways to invest your money. And so that's how I would say there. Uh, Joel, is there anything else that you want to say before we wrap this thing up? Uh, I don't think so. If anybody has additional questions, you're millennial. I mean, if you're any age group, drop them in the comments below. Let us know. Uh, we're going to be answering some of the most pressing questions that people have right now, but maybe you're too afraid or feel too awkward to ask them. We're just here. We're we're trying to be authentic and, and be real with you guys. I mean, I'm holding my baby right now. Like we're not we're not selling anything. We're doing it for the clicks. Let's yeah, be honest. That's right. We, this will be the click, thumbnail. Subscribe for the kid. All right. Subscribe when he <laughs> doesn't get his food. <laughs> we're really on a mission to unlocking intentional living, and we think about money differently. There's so much misinformation about money. There's so many people living in scarcity minds, um, and you have one life. And so, yeah, we really do want to elevate the conversation. We're going to be reacting to clips. We're going to be reacting to TikTok advice. We're going to be um, hopefully um, be, be able to answer questions. And we really want to take our channel and content to the next level. And so we're always open to hearing your thoughts. And I just, I just know and have this conviction that I need to be speaking more because I have so many thoughts. And a lot of times I, we don't have the platform right now for me to be able to share that. And in a show format, it, um, that's, that will really be um, what we're going to go for. So Joel, thank you. Thank you for being the co-host. And, um, yeah, I, I, it was an honor doing the first better wealth show with you in 2022. Fantastic. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the better wealth podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review and share this with the people that you know and love.